Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So when I say fall in love with the problem, what it really means is start with the problem. But there is way more into that. The problem then remains the North Star of your entire journey. And every day you're asking yourself, Yuri Levine, board member, mentor, he's an avid cyclist and skier. He's an author. He's a 2x unicorn entrepreneur, co-founded Waze. He's involved in 12 startups. I know. Speak to me about what it means to truly fall in love with the problem. What problem did you fall in love with when you built Waze? I hate traffic jams. <laughs> it's a good problem. Across all the mistakes that entrepreneurs make, what do you think is the most common that leads to the highest failure rate of a company? It's probably a combination of the two first. Starting with the solution and not with the problem. And therefore, you are unable to figure out product market fit because there is no value creation here. The second one is about... um, Are some of the insights that you've gained from starting, scaling, growing and preparing for an exit of that size? You do it once. Okay, good job. You do it twice, there's a formula. How did you grow to unicorn status? So, um... One of the points that you brought up in the book is the importance of firing and then hiring the right people in that order. Explain that point. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They've been supporting the show for over two years now. And when it comes to running an incredible business, HubSpot's got your back. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, you know that nothing matters more than generating revenue, but salespeople aren't just closing deals, they're tracking down leads, they're forecasting growth, they're whipping up reports, managing contacts, creating content, crunching numbers. The list of tasks goes on and on. With Q4 around the corner, there's a better way to win. It all starts with the new HubSpot Sales Hub. Now, with the HubSpot Sales Hub, your data, tools, and teams are fully linked inside a smart and highly customizable platform that feels good to use. It's easy. Turn prospects into pipeline and close your deals all in one place. Plus, sequences and smooth workflows help reps streamline tasks and spend more time on what they do best, connecting with customers. With Sales Hub, Closing big deals is simple. Try it for yourself at HubSpot.com slash sales. So, so I think there were many of them, but, but essentially I grew up in a, in a house that uh, my parents encouraged me to try things, right? So if I would come to them with a great idea or lousy idea or any idea, they would say, why don't you give it a try? And, and there was no judgment afterwards. And, and the result is that, um, um, you know, it, it built my character at the end of the day to, to something that has, um, you know, a higher likelihood of taking risk, lower fear of failure, um, and, and willing to try different things, even though that I don't know what the results are going to be. 
Um, and uh, um, so that was maybe uh, one moment that is uh, ended up to be um, um, very important in my life. Another one was um, in, in my 20s when, when it was time to actually go and decide what is it that I want to study. I had multiple choices, um, and uh, and I actually went to my dad and say, "Look, I have um, few options, and I don't know which one to choose." And my dad reached out to his pocket and get a coin out and said, "I'm going to flip the coin, and before the coin drops, you're going to make the call." Um, so essentially, um, a very powerful tool of making decisions. And in many cases, you know, the reality is that we know what is the right decision. We are looking for confirmation and to a certain extent I would say uh, the coin will drop and that is going to be your confirmation. So I think these two are actually tended uh, um, or ended up to be very significant um, in my um, childhood first and then in my um, um, early 20s uh, on, on both um, taking risks and, uh, um, and accepting failures uh, on one hand and, uh, and then on making decisions. I, lo I love those lessons, and, and I think that it's important to walk through that mindset that you had going into all your companies, the ability to take on risks, uh, because we feel like entrepreneurship is risky, but ultimately, I've spoken to so many entrepreneurs, and the lessons are generally the same. It's, it's no less risky than committing your whole life to a, a company that could fire you tomorrow, right? It's really not that much riskier but walk me through some of those risks that you took early on because one thing that i found with every single entrepreneur in the world is more often than not the first thing they build is not the successful thing so they take lots of lots of risks they they fail quite a bit so what did what did you first start building like i know ways was probably not the first thing you ever tried or the the version of ways that we know it to be is not definitely not the first version of what it was so, um, so, so let me by generalizing that, right? Building a startup is a journey of failures. And, and this is really dramatic. People don't realize that because, um, um, you know, we want to think that, uh, um, um, that the journey is easy, but it's never easy. And, and the most important part is the realization that this is a journey of failures because, um, you know, we're trying to build something new that no one did before. And, and we think that we know exactly what we are doing, but the reality is that we don't. So we try. We take our hypothesis and we basically say, this is definitely going to work. We make uh, um, our um, you know, decision or our roadmap or our first version with the conviction that this is it. And then we find out that it's not. And, uh, and we are trying it all over again. And we are doing that again and again and again. So there are two immediate conclusions when you realize that building a startup is a journey of failures. The first one is that if you're afraid to fail, then in reality you already failed because you're not going to try. Albert Einstein used to say that if you haven't failed that because you haven't tried anything new before. And, and, you know, and Michael Jordan says that, or, or Wayne Gretzky or all of them can accept failure but cannot accept not trying. And, and so this is becoming critical. If you want to innovate, if you want to build something new, if you want to try something new, you should prepare to fail. The second one, which ended up to be equally important, in particular in the entrepreneurship journey, is that the realization that if this is going to be a journey of failures, then 
If I fail fast, I actually increase the likelihood of being successful because I have enough time to make another, another try and another try and another try. And the result is that I have multiple opportunities um, that essentially increase the likelihood of being successful. So once we realize that this is going to be a journey of failures, um, we need to, number one, accept the fact that we are willing to go into this journey and we know how to recover from a failure or an error or a mistake fast. And we establish that as part of our DNA. And the second one is that we need to fail fast. The faster that we fail, we actually buy ourselves enough time to make another attempt. Um, and, and that was always the case. Now I ended up, look, entrepreneurs are troublemakers, right? Uh, they will be the ones that are, you know, skipping school, but not just skipping school, being kicked out of any class that they, that they were before. And they are the one that, uh, um, that don't take anything for granted, right? So they will challenge different decisions based on their point of view. And in a growing company, this is an asset. In a stabilized company, this is a nightmare because you become, um, you know, the one that uh, that uh, that challenge everything, right? And don't accept uh, um, um, anything for uh, for granted. And the result is that um, you will get fired eventually. Troublemakers will get fired because corporates uh, cannot survive with uh, troublemakers. Um, and, uh, um, and you're right, Waze was not the first startup that I was involved with. Um, I actually started uh, my career yeah, as a software developer at, uh, um, at the Israeli military service, the IDF. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and I spent there about six years and then I became software developer at uh, Converse Technology. Now we tend to forget exactly what Converse was, but uh, long, 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 long time ago, there were voicemail systems that uh, that were actually doing call answering for, for most of the services and the Converse was the market leader of those. And, uh, um, and, um, and that company turns out to be um, very successful when the mobile started to become relevant. And so there were more and more and more mailboxes um, that we have sold. Um, and, uh, um, and over the years, I realized that there are different things that I would like to build. And, uh, and in multiple cases, they asked me to stay and build that in-house. So as long as Converse was growing company, there was an opportunity for me to try to build new stuff within, within the, the company. As soon as that growth, um, stopped, then I realized that I need to go someplace else. And my first startup was about mobile email back in 2000 and that ended up to be unsuccessful and uh, um and after that i took a pause from building startups and uh, um and um and i went to work for an american corporate and after that i went back to tel aviv and uh, was helping different startups until 2007 and and this is where we started ways and so um and, and, well, I just yeah. want to ask you something about about failures because you mentioned something very important: failing fast. So, in that in that startup that failed, how did you know when it was time to call it quits? How do you fail fast? How did you fail fast? So, so let's separate between shutting down a company and uh, and and failures or errors or mistakes throughout the journey, um, because the journey is. Um, 
is, is very important in the sense that you have, you know, everything that you would have in your roadmap. For me, it's a list of experiments that you're going to conduct. And you will try with the first one that you think that is going to work. And you will end with the first one that is actually working. Um, there is a nice story that I heard about LinkedIn. I don't know how true it is, but, but for a second I would say, let's assume for a second that it's true. And if it's not true, then assume that it is true for the sake of the discussion, right? And, um, and, uh, and when LinkedIn started, they actually um, you know, had uh, 30 features that they wanted to develop. And they basically say, this is the, the minimum product. And when they started to meet investors, everyone told them that 30 features is way too long and they need to reduce that list to less than that, and they ended up with a list of 10 features that they said, this is, you know, we cannot even launch the product without those 10 features. Obviously LinkedIn started and eventually um, they were um, becoming public and, and then acquired by Microsoft and then becoming public again. But, but the first time that they went public, how many of those 10 features they actually developed? And the answer is one, just one. So in that sense, they were lucky that they figured out the first feature that they need to develop at the beginning. I don't know how true this story is, but, but for the sake of the discussions, let's assume that it is. Um, the roadmap is eventually a list of features that you're going to develop. And each one of them has an objective to figure out product market fit. And if they do, then the product development is done. And if they're not, then, um, then you try another one. And, and that is the important part of the failures, right? So, so you don't stick with something that doesn't work. You keep on trying, you keep on trying different things. For the question, when do you know that it's time to shut down a company? Look, you eventually fall in love with the problem. And once you start to build your team, this is your mission in life. You will never give up. And, and nev never giving up, perseverance is the most important behavior of an entrepreneur, not necessarily of a CEO, but of an entrepreneur, they don't give up. Um, and if you would ask me, how do you know that it's time to give up? So number one, you never know. You don't know. Number two, I would add my advice that is basically saying, look, if one of the two following is happened, then you should give up. One is that the problem disappears. The first uh, um, startup that, that we started in year 2000, uh, um, it called Access Mobile. And what we tried to do is actually provide an email access through WAP phones, right? So very, very long time ago. And, uh, um, and the problem disappeared as soon as BlackBerry started, right? So there was a, sort of a very different approach for the solution. Uh, which made our solution irrelevant. And, and to a certain extent, I would say the problem disappeared. And uh, so if problem disappears, you should, you should quit. The other reason is if the team is not right and you're unable to change that. So if you are the CEO, then you should be able in a position to change that. But in many cases, you don't. And then you end up with a, um, a place that might have the right mission but not the right DNA. And you don't want to stay in a place like that. So this is time to shut it down. Um, these are the only two reasons that I can figure out why you should quit. Um, and, um, and, and, um, and, and in general, I would say, look, entrepreneurs, they don't give up. I know that's something. So I think that what I, 
I, I value that lesson so much because the concept of never giving up, it does, it does conflict with the concept of, of, of failing quickly. So it's good to have an understanding of what your organization is growing into, what you're, again, the, the problem you're trying to solve, is it still there? And then the other point you mentioned, the right people. But let's talk about, let's talk about the, the problem, right? I mean, you, so, you wrote a book. So, so first, and I would say, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm, I'm stopping you for a second. Okay. Yeah. Think of the following, right? When you go into this journey, there is a problem that you're trying to address, right? And, uh, and this is becoming your mission. Right. So for a second, I would say if the mission is right and the team is right, then you shouldn't give up. If one of them is going away, then you should start to consider. If both of them, then definitely you should consider it of, of giving up. But the, the journey of failures is not about the essence of the startup. The essence of the startup is about the problem they're trying to solve, the value that they are about to create. Um, and uh, um, it's about the way to get there. And the way to get there is a journey of failures. Understood. I understand. Okay. I want to understand um, the, the title of the book that you wrote, Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution. So we're, we're dancing around this now, but speak to me about what it means to truly fall in love with the problem. What problem did you fall in love with when you built Waze? I hate traffic jams. <laughs> it's a good problem. You know, uh, end of the day, I and I'm pretty sure that you uh, have, have met many entrepreneurs. Um, they all have a starting point that has that touched them on a personal level, right? And um, and not all, but most of them. And in many cases, this is about frustration. So you run into something and you ended up being frustrated. And then you tell yourself, no, 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 this is something that I'm going to change. There is no way that this is how it works. Um, and this is the key driver for most of my startups is running into situations that I tell myself, wait a minute, am I the only one that is getting frustrated because of that? Um, and then you start to discuss that with or speak with other people um, until you realize that this problem is real, or at least the perception of the problem is real. Um, and so for me, you know, the journey is always about starting with a problem. So finding a problem, a big problem, something that it's worth solving, something that the world will become a better place if we solve that. Uh, and then the next thing that you really would like to do is ask yourself, so who has this problem? Now, if you happen to be the only person on the planet with this problem, then I would say, go to a shrink. It's much cheaper than building a startup, right? But if a lot of people actually have this problem, then go and speak with those people and understand their perception of the problem. And only then build a solution. Now, if you follow this path and your solution works, it's guaranteed that you're creating value. If you start with the solution, you might be building something that nothing, that no one cares. And that's really not a good idea. So, so when I say fall in love with the problem, what it really means is start with the problem, but there is way more into that. The problem then remains the North Star of your entire journey. And every day you're asking yourself if I'm making a progress towards addressing this problem, right? And so if the problem was um, 
Um, for ways, though, the reason that we start is that we, we hate traffic jams. Uh, we evolved that into a mission to help drivers to avoid traffic jams, right? Because uh, the solution for the problem is very easy, avoiding the problem, right? So getting rid of the problem, problem disappears, or we are avoiding that or overcoming that, and that makes it easy. As long as you keep that as the north star of your company, then you increase the likelihood of being successful. And you increase the likelihood by basically saying, um, I know where I'm going. I don't know what's the next step, or I do know what's the next step, but I have no idea what's the step after next, but I know where I'm going. The other part of it is that it makes your story so much easier to be told that uh, that uh, it's your marketing is becoming easy, your fundraising is becoming easier. Um, everything is is creating or the entire story uh, is much easier because if I will tell you, you know, I'll have a time machine, we will roll back in 2007 and I will come into this podcast. Well, there, that podcast wasn't here, I think, in 2000. <laughs> it wasn't, but I get the point. But, uh, but assume that we are and I will tell you, I'm building an AI crowdsource navigation system then you don't really care. But if I will tell you I'm helping you to avoid traffic jams, then all of a sudden you do care. And, and the, so the story is easier to be told. And usually story, you know, when, 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 you, when you tell a story about, about the problem, then um, there is an emotional engagement for many of the people, in particular if they have experienced similar problem or the same problem. Um, so falling in love with the problem essentially increase your likelihood of being successful, increase the likelihood of becoming a market leader uh, through two main things, right? The North Star and therefore the mission of the companies is, is clearer and easier and remains the same throughout the entire journey. And the story that you tell is much easier. As you all know, the Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network, which has incredible podcasts for entrepreneurs, business leaders, people just wanting to upskill themselves. One of my favorites that you need to go check out is My First Million, hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. They have incredible guests, Alex Hermosi, Sophia Amoruso, Hassan Minhaj, all sharing their secrets, how they made their first million, and how to apply their learnings to capitalize on today's business trends and opportunity. Go listen to My First Million wherever you get your podcast. I have a, a question about how you came up with the solution to the problem that you you fell in love with. I mean, you find out that everybody hates traffic. That That's not really surprising. Everybody, of course, it's frustrated by traffic. But how do you find the right solution that will actually disrupt a broken market or industry or habit? So so in the case of Waze, that was actually a combination that were coming from two different uh, places. One came from Ehud Shabtai, the CTO of Waze, and the other one came from, from my perspective. And, and for me, that was back in 2006 that we were um, spending um, a vacation in the northern part of Israel. And back then, essentially, there were only two roads that you can go back to, uh, to Tel Aviv. And, and we were about uh, 10 different cars. And at the time, we had, uh, you know, four little kids or relatively little kids. And... Uh, and it took us a while to leave. And by the time we left, everyone else was already on the road. So I started calling them up, trying to figure out what is traffic jams like in their path. And I realized, and, and obviously some of them told me we are on this road and this is really packed. 
And some of them told me we are on the different road and it's not that bad. And I realized that the only thing that we need is someone ahead of us on the road um, to, um, to tell us what's going on. And they don't need to do anything in order to tell us what's going on if we can measure that through, from their mobile phone. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so that was one of the Eureka moments. The second one was, um, actually came from, um, from EU, this, the city of Waze. Um, was very similar, and that was crowdsourcing not just of the traffic information, but the map itself. So essentially, the magic of Waze is that we, the drivers, are creating all the content that is being used by the application. And today, you think about it, and you use Waze, and you realize, okay, traffic information, I understand. Speed traps, I understand. But the magic is that the maps themselves were crowdsourced. Because when you drive someplace, we know that there is a road, right? And if there is an intersection that no one is making left turn, then then no left turn is allowed, right? If there is a, uh, you can tell the difference between a street and a main road. If there is a road that there are a hundred people going into in one direction and there is no one else coming the other direction, that is one way street. And uh, you know what? If there is a road that there are a hundred people going into one direction. And there are only two driving the other direction. This is one-way street in Tel Aviv. Um, and, and so essentially we realized that, uh, and the magic of Waze is that we crowdsource the map data, not just the traffic information. Now, this is critical because when you think of traffic, you say, okay, I, in order for that to work, I need to have a lot of drivers. Because if I have you know, a driver a day, then I don't know what's traffic like. But in order to have a lot of drivers, then I need... What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. 
Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepasswordcom slash Clary for two weeks free. I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Keep the application to be free. Otherwise, people are not going to pay for it. In order for the application to be free, we need to create our own maps because at the time, licensing the maps was extremely expensive. And so the real magic of Waze is the crowdsourcing of the map. The idea of crowdsourcing of the map in order to crowdsource the traffic information and was made what made Waze essentially so much more successful than than any other driving app. And if you if you that that one sentence fall in love with the problem, it's not a static sentence. It's not a static concept or thought because what I'm seeing now is even the way that you built the business model is obsessing over the problem that your users have because the fact that you made it free that's a business model choice right that you have to find alternative revenue right. streams now so speak to me about the concept of uh of falling in love with the problem over the life cycle of a company an app how do you constantly continue to understand your users so that as you build up the business look for different business models different directions different paths it's always derived back to and focused back on falling in love with the problem that your users are experiencing? So, so for a second, I would say um, the, the mission is, is about the problem, right? So, so we are going to help drivers to avoid traffic jams. And that remains the mission from the first day of Waze until the day of the acquisition and actually up until now. Um, but when you think of a startup journey, then you realize that there are multiple phases into this journey. And the first is always the same. It's about product market fit. If you, so in product market fit by and large is about creating value to your customers or to your users. And so if you don't figure out product market fit, you will die, as simple as that. In fact, you never heard of a company that did not figure out product market fit. They died peacefully and you didn't hear about them. All the companies that you have heard of, it's after they figure out product market fit. Now getting there is a long journey. It was three and a half years since 2007 until the end of, the, of 2010 for Waze. It was you know five years for Microsoft. It was 10 years for Netflix. It was many years 
for each and every company that you know to figure out product market fit. And this by itself is a journey of failures, right? Because you're trying different things until you find one thing that does work. The day that you figure that out, the day that you actually creating value to your customers that they are keep on coming back, is the day that you need to switch journeys. And the journey of product market fit is now to a certain extent ended. Now, if you want me to demonstrate that, that's really easy. Just imagine, you know, all the applications that you're using every day, being searching Google, using WhatsApp, using Waze, using Facebook, using Netflix, Uber, whatever it is, and ask yourself one question, right? What is the difference between any of those applications that we are using today and the first time that we have used it? And the answer is that there is no difference. We are searching Google today the same way that we search Google for the first time in our life. We're using Waze the same way. We're using Messenger or WhatsApp or Uber or whatever the same way. So once you figure out product market fit, that journey is completed. And then you are up to the next journey, which could be about business model, could be about growth, could be about going global, right? And, uh, and each one of them is a journey by itself, and each one of them is a journey of failures. And we usually would like to think that we actually control the order, but we don't. The order is actually being defined by the use case of our service. So for a second, I would say all those people that struggle once they figure out product market fit and struggle, okay, should we try to figure out growth now or should we try to figure out business model now? I would say, no, no, go back to the product and ask yourself two questions, right? Um, the frequency of use is the first one. If the frequency of use is high, then you will eventually figure out growth before you are going to figure out a, a business model. If the frequency of use low, then you start with figuring out business model before you figure out growth. And the reason is very simple. High frequency of use, you will end up with word of mouth growth. It doesn't matter what you're doing at the beginning. The end game is word of mouth. If frequency of use is low, then no matter how much you want it to become word of mouth, it will never get there. Not enough chances for someone to reuse or use again the product and tell someone else. And so the first definition is frequency of use, and that determines your um, uh, your order of the journeys, right? Whether or not after figuring out product market fit, you're going to figure out uh, um, uh, growth or figuring out business model. The second one is the duration of use. If the durations of use long and you have high frequency of use, you will end up with advertisement. That's it. As simple as that. If the duration of use is short, you will end up with actually your business model is going to be selling data. If the frequency of use is low, you will end up with customer paying and therefore you will need to figure out business model first. And that's really simple. This is in the consumer space. Obviously in business to business to business, this is very different. So we would like to think that it's up to us, but it's not. I love that. It's, it's such a very clear framework when you lay it out so simply. Um, does it what can you walk That's me through in some of these? what my book yeah. is doing right it's it's laying the laying out frameworks and then explain to you how you got how you're going to figure that out and 
and what are the actions that you need to do and uh, and it speaks about uh, um, um, you know, figuring out product market fit, business models, um, uh, raising capital, going global, growth, um, understanding users. Um, and so each one of them is being touched in the book as a, as a separate chapter and basically saying, this is the framework, you're going to follow this framework and you increase the likelihood of being successful. One of the points that you brought up in the book is the importance of firing and then hiring the right people in that order. Explain that point. So, so let me start with uh, um, w with a story, right? And and uh, um, you know, I ended up with speaking with many entrepreneurs, and and uh, and look, there is Uri the entrepreneur that everyone knows, but there is another very strong character set of Uri, which is a teacher. Um, and I mentor men, multiple CEOs, and I wrote the book in order to fulfill my destiny as a teacher, right? Um, but uh, um, during my dialogues with entrepreneurs, um, I spoke with many that their startup failed and asked them why, what happened? And about half say the team was not right. By the way, even though that half say that, it's not true. The reality is that uh, most startup fails because they did not figure out product market fit. Um, but, but for a second, let's take that, right? So half say the team was not right. And I kept on asking, okay, what do you mean the team was not right? And some told me, you know, we had this guy not good enough, this guy not good enough. You know, we expected the CTO to hire 10 engineers and he was unable to hire any. Um, so not good enough was one reason that I heard quite often. Another reason that I heard quite often, or a little bit less, but I heard that a lot, is we had uh, communication issues, right? So something that I actually called uh, ego management issues. And then ask them the most interesting question, when did you know that the team is not right? All of them knew within the first month. Within the first month, there was one guy that told me before we even started. Then you say, wait a minute, if you knew within the first month that the team is not right, and you didn't do anything, the problem was not that the team was not right. The problem was that you as a CEO did not make hard decisions. Firing is hard decisions. Hiring is easy decisions. Making hard decisions is hard. And this is why it's way more important. In fact, if you look at successful companies, then you would see that um, one of the most significant behavior of the CEOs is making decisions with conviction. When you don't make a decision, the problem is not that you are going to someplace that it's out of your control. The problem is that everyone knows, right? So just imagine that there is someone in the team that shouldn't be there, right? And that someone, it doesn't matter if this, this is because of poor performance or poor relationship with other employees. The result is that it shouldn't be there, right? Everyone knows. Everyone knows and the CEO doesn't do anything. And therefore, firing is way more important than hiring. And to a certain extent, if, if there is someone that is hiring people, you know, I would, I would say the most significant takeaway that you can take from this podcast is the following, right? Every new hire that you have throughout the entire organization, 30 days after this hire, ask yourself one question. Knowing what I know today, would I hire this person? 
Now, if the answer is no, then fire them immediately. You already put them in a, in a situation that they are not going to be successful. And the longer that it's going to be dragged, the more damage that you create to the organization and to the leadership. Now, the reality is that if there is a team that is not right and the CEO doesn't do anything in a small startups, the top performing people would leave. They would leave because they have a choice. And that's the beginning of the end. So, you know, when, when I wrote this uh, proposal, book proposal, and I sent that to different uh, um, publisher, um, most of them told me, no, no, it should be hiring and firing. And I said, no, it should be firing and hiring. Firing is hard decision. Hiring is easy decision. You should learn how to fire first, and then you should learn how to hire. Across all the mistakes that entrepreneurs make, and we've mentioned a few and, and spoken about a few, um, what do you think is the most common? Is it the hiring, fire, uh, the, the lack of conviction to fire? Is it the lack of ability to find product market fit and to look at a problem and, and instead focus on the solution? What do you think that one thing is that leads to the highest failure rate of a company? Um, and and it, it's probably a combination of the, of the, of the two first, the starting with the solution and not with the problem. And therefore, you are unable to figure out product market fit, right? Because, uh, mm -hmm. because there is no value creation here. Yeah. And the second one is about um, um, having the wrong team and, and, and inability to fire or inability to make hard decisions. So, um, so not figuring out product market fit, which is usually the result of, uh, of starting with a solution and not starting with the problem. Now, obviously, we can we can think of very successful company that that started with a solution, right? That no one no no, no one even knew that there is a problem there, and ended up to be very successful. Um, but uh, but at the end of the day, um, when you look at uh, most of the successful company, they started with a problem. Now you've built um, two companies that have sold for over a billion dollars, so two two unicorns, which is incredible. I mean, it's, it's tough enough building one unicorn, right? So what are some of, the, uh, some of the insights that you've gained from starting, scaling, growing, and preparing for an exit of that size? What has allowed you to scale? Because obviously you do it once. Okay, good job. You do it twice, there's a formula. So you chose purposefully not to sell at a certain point, I'm assuming. Um, so how did you grow to unicorn status? Why did you choose to take it to that level? You sold to Google and Intel. I would love to understand that journey. So, um, so I said earlier, if you don't figure out product market fit, you will die. The good news is that if you do figure that out, you will be on a path of being successful. And, and at the end of the day, unicorn and for a second, I would say, um, um, or, or significant companies are going to be such that that have aligned multiple stars in one line, right? So, mm -hmm. so figuring out product market fit, figuring out growth, figuring out business model, um, market is large enough, right? So you can do all those in a very small market, and then no one cares. Um, and then in many cases, you will figure out that there is, in those that are successful, there is a sort of an, an X factor or a coolness factor that makes them cool um, and, and people would like to speak about them. 
But, uh, but the reality is that the formula is very simple. You need to realize that each one of them is going to be a journey, a journey of failures, a roller coaster journey of failures, and with a very long period of time of no traction. And once you realize that, and you realize that you need to operate in phases, and each phase you focus on one of those missions, right? So you start with product market fit, and then it might be growth or it might be business model. Um, and if you figure them out, you're actually building a very successful company. If you fail to figure out a milestone, so if you fail to figure out product market fit, you will die. That's uh, pre-established. But if you were able to figure out product market fit, which basically say, you know what, I know how to create value to my customers or to my users. And then you don't figure out growth. Then you go back and say, okay, I'm going to now try to figure out a business model. And your journey is going to be longer because you, uh, each one of those phases, it's, uh, it's three years phase, right? It could be five years phase. It could be maybe you're lucky and it's only two, uh, but it's a long period of time to figure that out. And, uh, um, and once you realize that you need to operate in phases and the biggest challenge for the company is when you switch phases, everything that was critical and relevant up until now is way less relevant from this point on. If you already figure out product market fit or in your journey to figure out product market fit, the product people are the most important one. You don't need sales. You don't, you don't even need marketing. You don't need anything else except figuring out the value that you create for your users. Once you are there, and by the way, product market fit is measured by one metric, retention. People are coming back. And so once you figure that out, then you shift priorities. The most important thing for the company is changing dramatically. And, uh, and that change, by the way, is very hard for many of the companies. In some cases, you need to beef up the management. In some cases, you need to move people around in order to have the right people in the right place. Um, and, and this is going to happen throughout the first decade of your journey multiple times. Once you figure out all of them, you are unicorn, maybe uh, decacorn, and maybe even bigger than that. No, I so um, if you figured out these phases, then through your own personal experience, what what was the reason for um, what was the reason for exiting at that point? I guess the question is better phrased as. How does an entrepreneur know when it's time to exit? What's the strategy? How do they set themselves up? Is this something that you've envisioned from day one? Is this something that came to pass because you did have all those ducks in a row, you scaled, you got to a certain point and you realized that this was right time, right place for exit. So walk me through the actual exit event. So um, for a second, and, and, and I would say um, this is maybe guidance for entrepreneurs, when is the right time to sell? So, so I would say, ask yourself two or three different questions, right? And the first one is whether or not this is going to be a life-changing event for you. If it is, then you should consider. If it's not, then keep on building. Um, so, so this is the first one. The second one is whether or not you are an entrepreneur by blood and you know that you're going to build more startups or not. If this is once in a lifetime company for you, 
then you should consider sticking up with it. If you think that you're going to build another startup after that, then it's a good opportunity to actually leverage an exit and go and build the next startup. And then the third one is, and people, you know, and many entrepreneurs don't think about it um, until it's uh, way too late, is that um, the day of a transactions of M&A is, is changing everything for you. In particular, that you are no longer, you're no longer the owner of the company, right? And now you're becoming part of a larger organization and you have a boss. And uh, um, this is very dramatic change for you in terms of the day after, mm-hmm. with the underlying assumptions that uh, most of the entrepreneurs, when their startup is being sold, they would like to make sure that the integration work and they try to take care of the employees. Um, and uh, But there is a day after for you. And this day after is very different than the day before. Um, and so um, these are the three key questions that you need to ask yourself as an entrepreneur. Now, in most cases, um, M&As, they will come to you. You're not, you're not going for shopping. They will come to you. Um, if you are creating enough traction and you're becoming significant, um, they will come to you. And to a certain extent, I would say, look, if the company is growing and growing and growing and its valuation is becoming more significant and more significant, um, then what happens is that the number of potential buyers is being dramatically reduced. There are only very few players that might be able to write a check that order of magnitude. And the result is that many of the companies that are keep on growing eventually go public, not because of a choice, but because of uh, there is no one that is going to acquire them or no one is willing to pay that amount of money. Um, so, so in that sense, I would say the, the top three questions would be life-changing event, yes or no? And uh, um, um, is that once in a lifetime journey for you or you think you're going to build more startups? And then you need to think about the day after. Amazing. Um, I want to I want to wrap this up and I want to get some information as to where people can go get your book and go connect with you. But before we pivot and close this out, uh, what's some last advice that you would want to give over to entrepreneurs that are just starting their journey? You know, I kind of, I would repeat that so many times, start with a problem. And, and look, it takes time to fall in love with the problem. It's, uh, it's not that you uh, um, tell yourself, oh, I have an idea how I'm going to address that. Because at the end of the day, entrepreneurs, <clears throat> they will go into the entrepreneurship journey when their passion is so much greater than the fear of failures and the alternative cost, right? So if you are a lawyer and making a million dollars a year at a very established firm, the likelihood that you would go into a journey that you start from scratch is small. And um, and in order for you to go into this journey, you really want to be in love. You really need way higher level of passion for anything else that you have done in your lifetime in order to go through the challenging part of this journey. And, uh, and starting with the problem, Look, for, for many cases, when you start to speak people with people about a problem and they tell you their perspective of it, their story of it, 
it empower you and it puts you in a position that you feel that it's your mission to solve that problem. Um, and this is what you need to do. And start with that. And then that first thing that you need to figure out is that I need to figure out product market fit and I don't care about anything else. Amazing. Um, if people want to, well, first of all, when is the book coming out? Um, because I want to just timestamp it so people can go, well, release is probably in about a month, but I think the book's coming out in January. So what's the actual release date? And then where do people go get the book? And then also where do people connect with you so they can go learn more? Because I think that your mission in life now is, is teaching entrepreneurs, which is very admirable. So I want people to consume more of your content, um, whatever socials you want to drop. Um, the book is going to be available on January 17th and uh, pretty much you know, all the bookstores and uh, you know Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, um, and so forth. Um, it's available today for pre-order, um, but it will be shipped only on, on January 17th. Um, there is, of course, my website, uh, um, urilevin.com, um, where there are some, you know, video, con video presentations and, uh, and additional information, um, and uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, essentially. Um, last question that I ask everyone. So we have all the socials. We'll put all this in the show notes, the book, uh, all this will be, uh, be great for the audience. But last question I ask everyone, and Uri, this is for yourself. You've had incredible success. Uh, you've built multiple companies. Um, obviously, there have been some failures, some successes, some massive successes. Uh, and looking back after you've accomplished everything you've accomplished, what does success mean for you? You know, it's the second time that I was asked this question today. Um, that's really easy for me. Um, it's about value creation um, and it's about being meaningful, right? And, uh, um, and I have two ways to actually, you know, follow my path here. One is by building startups and I have about a dozen of them. Then we only spoke about ways, but there, but there are many others. Um, and, uh, and it's about guiding and mentoring and teaching um, um, through presentations and now through this book, um, um, other um, entrepreneurs and other business people and, and hopefully being meaningful for them. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.